Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. camping out here for a little while longer in Psalm 106, and I want to talk a little bit more about having this sense of identity vertically, seeing ourselves vertically and not just horizontally. When we see ourselves merely horizontally, imagine yourself on a bumper pool table. It's just chaos. There's balls, there's bumpers, and everything is bouncing back and forth based upon the obstacles in its way. We see ourselves, we see our identity based upon our interactions with other people, whether or not other people like us, approve of us, accept us, or our last conversation determines how we see ourselves, circumstances drive our view of ourselves, and we have to rise above that if we're going to make it in the Christian life and walk with God in a way that allows us to live into the bigger story and have this better story for our lives. We have to learn to have this view of ourselves that's based upon a vertical view of God and his promises to us, that his word is true, and that he has this infinite love for us, and he has this good, desiring to do good, he is good, he is a good creating God, and therefore his will for you is good. This plan he has for your life is good. You won't be able to walk with God if you don't believe those things. Not going to work. But you can believe them because the Bible over and over talks about it. And it talks about it being proven, proved by the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. All these promises that God has for you and is for you in Christ How do you know that they're for you? How do you know that you're in this story? Because some people aren't. How do you know you're in it? And the answer to that is the question is, if you want it, you've got it. If you embrace it, then you're in it. It's one of those things where those who have faith, those who have trust, those who want to have allegiance to Christ are the ones who are in this story. That's what the promise is of the Bible. So we've been looking at Psalm 106, and it says in the very first verse, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Having this sense of worth to my life because of his love for me, he died for me, it was a price tag for me, was his love for me to die for me is how much I am worth to him. At the same time, I am completely unworthy. Haven't earned it, was ungodly, a sinner, am ungodly, am a sinner, and yet he has made me holy and made me righteous, not because I'm worthy, not because I've earned it, but because I'm worth it to him to put me in Christ, and to bring me into this bigger story. The problem is we forget to remember what Christ has done for us. That's what it says in Psalm 106, verse 7, about the Israelites describing their sin. It says, they did not remember your wondrous works, and they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. You're going throughout your day, And you're thinking about a lot of things and you have this narrative in your head of what your life is about and what you need to have to live the good life and to live a life 
that your identity has this sense of value and worth and significance and meaning. We're all striving for that. If you don't think you are, I can promise you you are, which is why you boast, why you brag, why you want to have approval, why you do things to be noticed. We all do it. Nobody's exempt from this because we're all trying to find our meaning and our purpose and our worth. And we get that from being seen as worth something to others. And the key to living this vertical view of ourselves, the key to living this bigger life, this bigger story is to primarily, first and foremost, base our sense of significance and worth on this bigger story of all that God is for us in Christ, that we have this incredible promise of his infinite love for us and his good plan for us and his promises to us that we can trust. And if we had even just a glimpse of this promise, of this story, our lives would be filled with this sense of significance and purpose and meaning and worth that would completely make the temptations of all the other ways we try to get it simply fade away. But we forget to remember, that's again what it says in Psalm 106, verse 13, but they soon forgot his works. Verse 21, they forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. But then it says in verse 45 that God didn't forget. God didn't forget. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. God doesn't forget his covenant. He doesn't forget his steadfast love. Not for a moment, not for a fraction of a second. He is infinitely focused on you all the time. That's what it means partly that he is the I am. 100% focused on you without being any less focused anywhere else, without being any less present anywhere else. And yet he remembers second by second, fraction of a second by fraction of a second, his covenant with you and the abundance of his steadfast love for you. How do you know if you are part of the you? Well, the question is, do you want to be? Do you want to be in this promise? Do you want to embrace it for yourself? And if the answer to that is yes, now we never have 100% faith. And we never have 100% yes. But if our yes is enough to say, yes, this is what I want. This is the promise of God for us because we receive it by faith. We receive it by trust. Never 100% trust, but enough trust. And here you are listening to this podcast, enough trust to seek and pursue and to embrace the promises of God for us, all that God is for us in Christ. We looked in the last episode about how that means if this is who you are in Christ, then be who you are. Because when you be who you are, when you be true to yourself, that's when your life is filled with confidence, a humble kind of confidence. And you're able to interpret the circumstances of your life, not like a bumper pool table where you're just being batted back and forth, but you're able to see the circumstances of your life almost from the view of space, this vertical view of looking at your life through this greater promise and this greater story. So we kind of left the last episode looking at the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 32, where it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, that's the us all who's reading this, us all whom he's writing to, the us all who want to be in this story, who want to embrace it for ourselves. He says, For he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How much will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, he's already done the hard part. He's already come in the person of Jesus, suffered, died, broken through the other side of death. 
He's already done the hard part. Now he gets to do the fun part, and that is graciously give us all things. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, again, there's three things you have to believe if you're going to walk with God. And the first is that his word is true. His promises are true for you, that he loves you with infinite love, loves you personally, specifically, and that his plan for your life, his will for your life is good. Doesn't mean you're not going to have hard circumstances and you're going to die of something someday and it might be a very difficult death. But all of these things, Paul says, these times, these momentary, what he calls light affliction, he's being sarcastic compared, he says, is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. That's the ultimate good that God has for your life, this bigger story. So what I want to do is just have you, again, just sort of close your eyes or don't close your eyes if you're driving, of course. But I just want you to meditate on what the Bible tells you, promises you about who you are, having this vertical view of yourself in Christ. I want to lead you in a meditation on what the New Testament says about who you truly are in Christ, having this vertical view of yourself so that you can be who you are and live according to the true identity rather than trying to get your identity from all these narratives created in our culture that are trying to give you your sense of who you are, your sense of purpose, your sense of originality, your sense of why you're accepted, why you're part of a group. These are all dead-end identities. And the only identity that truly satisfies is this bigger, greater story of all that God is for you in Christ. So meditate on this. Think of this. See yourself this way. See yourself vertically based upon the promise of God for you in Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, that you're the light of the world. Now, I know Jesus said he was the light of the world, but because you are part of this story, you are part of this narrative, Jesus says that you are the light of the world. How do you know that you are the part of this promise? Well, if you want to embrace it for your life, if you want to live in this story, if Jesus's promises to you are the identity that you want to embrace and live out, then this applies to you. You are the light of the world. God is doing something in your life to be a light, to bring his light into other people's darkness. John 1.12 says that you are a child of God. You're part of God's family. Not everybody's a child of God. I mean, in some sense, God created everybody. In that sense, we are children of God. But the Bible's very clear that those in Christ become like Christ in that status as a son of God. You become a child of God in Christ, Jesus says. Jesus says in John 15, 1 and 5, that, that you're part of this true vine that is Jesus. You're a branch in a true vine, this plant that God is planting that's going to blossom and become this fruitful kingdom of God on earth, and you're part of it. You're plugged into the true vine. John 15, 15, Jesus says that you are his friend. You're not an enemy of his. You're not a problem of his. You're his friend. He likes you, not just loves you. He likes spending time with you. Romans 6.18 says that you are a servant of righteousness. 
a minister would be another way to say it, of righteousness. God has you on this earth so that you can spread righteousness. Romans 8, 17 says that you are a joint heir, a co-heir with Christ. You share in his inheritance. You are a co-heir with him in his inheritance as the son of man, and he is the son of God. You have become, in a sense, a son of God, a child of God, and you are a co-heir with Christ of the kingdom of God when he returns to this earth in a resurrected body, and you will have a resurrected body on a resurrected earth. And that promise in Romans 8, how much now will he not also give you all things? That's part of the all things. You are a co-heir with Christ. That's who you are, seeing yourself vertically. You are a temple. We talked about this in the last episode. You are a temple of God. You are a temple and his Holy Spirit lives in you. You are a presence of God on earth. You are a presence of heaven on earth. You are like an Eden in bodily form, incarnating the presence of God because his Holy Spirit indwells you. This is who you are. So be a temple of God. Live like a temple of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things are passing away and the new has come. This is who you are. You are a new creation. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. We are not worthy. We don't get there by good works, but we are created in Christ for good works. You are created, newly created, recreated in Christ. You are a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5. 17. And according to Ephesians 2 to 10, you are created in Christ to do good works for good works that he has planned in advance, prepared in advance for you to walk into. Just by being in Christ, you're walking in into the good works that God has prepared for you to do. Because that's why he saved you, and that's why he has recreated you in Christ. Now, that begins now. Ultimately, it fulfills itself in the kingdom of God forever as you are a co-heir with Christ, and you rule over his creation with Christ, and you are coming back to Genesis 1, 26 as exercising dominion over the earth as being recreated in the image of God. But it begins now. Now you walk into the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Now you are a new creation. Now you embody the kingdom of God on earth. That's why almost every epistle starts by calling you a holy one, a saint. You are a saint. Being a saint simply means that you are holy. You are a holy one. You've been made holy through Christ. You've been set apart for this purpose. Ephesians 4.24 says that you are righteous and holy. That's how God sees you. That's the new creation God has made you in some sense. You are already, it says in Philippians 3.20, already a citizen of heaven. Heaven is not a place, it's a kingdom, and it's coming back to earth, and you're a citizen of it. Ephesians 2, 6 says that you are already right now seated with Christ in heaven. You've been crucified with Christ. You've been made alive together with Christ. You've been raised together with Christ. And you are seated right now as a citizen in Christ of heaven. That's your citizenship. That's where you belong. Again, not a place, but a kingdom, a realm. Colossians 3.12 says that you are chosen of God and holy and dearly loved. 
First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says that you are chosen and dearly loved by God. This is who you are. I know you may not feel that way. I know your circumstances make you question it. People don't treat you this way. You don't treat yourself this way. You don't see yourself this way. But you have to believe the word of God is true. The promises of all that God is for you in Christ is true and that he loves you and his will for you is good. And 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says that you are chosen. I don't know quite all that that means except that God wanted you to exist in his universe and he wants you to be a part of his new humanity in Christ and you are set apart for a purpose, a special purpose. That's what chosen partly means too in the Bible. You are chosen and dearly loved by God. That's what it says, chosen and dearly loved. Embrace that. Believe that. Trust that. See yourself vertically, not just horizontally. Romans 5.1 says that you have been justified. You've been made right. You've been made righteous. Romans 8.1 says that you are free forever from condemnation. There is no condemnation for you because you're in Christ forever. You don't have to fear condemnation. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we looked at this in the last episode. You've been bought with a price. That's the worth. The price of Jesus' body and blood on the cross is the price tag you were bought for. That's your worth to God. You are holy and dearly loved, and you are bought with a price, and the Spirit of God indwells you. You belong to Him. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that you have been given the Holy Spirit of God as a pledge guaranteeing your inheritance to come. His Spirit indwells you now, and that's a guarantee that you're going to be a co-heir with Christ in the kingdom of God. Because you have been crucified with Christ, you've died in Christ, you've been made alive in Christ by His resurrection, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly citizenship. That's who you are. So Galatians 2.20 says you've been crucified with Christ and Christ lives in you by his Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27 says that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Colossians 3.1 says that you've been raised up with Christ, you've died with Christ, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, and Christ is now your life, and when he comes, you also will appear with him in glory. Hebrews 4.16 says that you now have a right, therefore, to come boldly to the throne of God without fear. And again, it's not because you're worthy, but you are worth it to God because Christ came to purchase you because he loved you. He gave his life for you, and that's your worth to him. You're not worthy because he came for ungodly sinners. You can't earn your way. You can't be worthy of this, but you are worth it to him. So let's close by thinking and meditating on this verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 23. Let's just soak in this for a minute. When this high priest, he's talking about Jesus, but when this priest, this priest is a mediator, the priest is one who represents the people before God, and therefore as the priest is, so God treats the people. So when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time, I'm reading the New Testament, this is a promise for you, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, that's Jesus' death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies 
to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, listen to this language, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're being made holy in our lives. That's why God is doing what he's doing in your life. That's why circumstances come your way, many of them difficult, because God is making you holy. He's conforming you to the image of his son, because that's the only way you're going to experience good. That's the better story. That's the bigger life. So for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us, it says in verse 15, this. First he says, and now he's quoting from Jeremiah, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. Remember what we saw in Psalm 106. It says, for God, for their sake, he remembered his covenant according to the abundance of his steadfast love. See, it's God's covenant with you in Christ, his promise to you in Christ, his oath to you in Christ, what Christ has done, the wondrous works he has done for you in his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's that covenant. It's that promise that's the basis of your relationship with God. It's the basis of your being made right and holy It's the basis of you being forgiven of your sins. It's the basis of you being a co-heir with Christ. It's a base. That's the basis of you being a child of God. That's the basis of you being a temple of the Holy Spirit. So Hebrews 10, 18 continues. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. There's nothing you can do to sacrifice for your sin. There's nothing you can do to become more worthy to God. You are already worth it, and he has already made you worthy. So again, let's read that verse again. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. Now he's talking about the temple and there was a big veil there. There was a curtain separated this holy of holy place where the altar was from the rest. Remember that says that veil tore from top to bottom when Jesus hung on the cross. That's in the New Testament, the Gospels. Now he's making the point here. The blood of Jesus is what opened up that curtain, tore that curtain his body on the cross, and since we have now access to go through that curtain, he says in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is all temple language, ceremonial language. It's used as a metaphor to show that we are, we've been washed, we've been made righteous, we've been made holy by the body of Jesus on the cross, by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's the basis for us being worthy to come into the presence of God. So he says in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Do these promises apply to you? Well, is this the hope you profess? Is this the story you want to embrace for your life? Because he who promised is faithful. You have to believe his word is true, and you have to believe his promises are for you. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give you all things? Let Jesus be your priest. Let God's covenant through Christ be your guarantee of being able to come into the presence of God. Those verses have always been really helpful for me as I embrace these promises for myself. I go over them in a meditative way, and I pray, thank you, Jesus, that you have become my priest, my high priest between me and God. I stand behind you. I stand in you. I stand with you, with you as my high priest, your righteousness as my righteousness, your death as my death, your blood as my forgiveness, your resurrection as my resurrection, your life as my life. I thank you that your one sacrifice for all time is the reason I can come before the presence of God. I can't add to that sacrifice. I can't make myself more worthy than what you have already made me by your own death and by your own resurrection. You are my priest. You are my mediator. By your one sacrifice, you have made me perfect forever, forever, forever. You have made me perfect by your one sacrifice of yourself, by your blood. You are making me holy. You have already made me holy in your presence. You have already made me somebody who is righteous before you. You have already made me somebody who is washed and holy and righteous. And your Holy Spirit indwells me. I am a temple of God. I am a temple of your Holy Spirit. You live in me. You have chosen me and set me apart. I don't know what all that means, except that I just believe it because your word says it. This is a promise for me in your word. And I thank you that you have forgiven all of my sins. And so any sacrifice by me for sin is no longer necessary because it's, I can't do it. You have made me worthy. And so I thank you that you give me confidence to enter your presence, your holy presence, the most holy presence by the blood of Jesus. And I draw near to you, God. I want to have a sincere heart. I want to have a heart that wants to embrace these promises, live in these promises, live in this greater story, this better story. I don't want to be fooled by other narratives that are trying to get me to find my identity through their story. I want to be in this story, and I want to draw near to you with the full assurance of faith, having my heart sprinkled to cleanse me from a guilty conscience, having my life and my body washed with pure water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of the living God. And I want to hold unswervingly to the hope that you give me in your word because you who promised, you are faithful. You did not spare your own son, Father, but you gave him up for me so that I can experience you graciously giving me all things. I give thanks to you that by your grace, you are giving me all things in Christ. You have made me alive with Christ. You have raised me with Christ. You have seated me as a citizen of your kingdom already. This is already who I am. I am the light of the world in Christ. I pray that your light would shine through me. I am a child of God. I pray that others would want to be a part of your family by being with me, by seeing me, by seeing my life, by 
me, the way I talk, the way I treat them, the way I love them, the way I serve them. I give thanks to you that I am a co-heir with Christ, that his inheritance is my inheritance because he is my priest and because he is in me and I am in him. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a new creation, newly created, recreated in Christ Jesus to, to do good works that you have prepared beforehand for me to walk into. I give thanks to you that I am chosen and I am holy and I am dearly loved by you. I give thanks to you that I am forever free from condemnation because Christ has bore all my sin upon the cross already, that I have already been bought with a price, that I am not my own. I belong to you and I want to glorify you with my body. You have given me your Holy Spirit as a pledge that guarantees my inheritance to come. I have been crucified with Christ, and Christ lives in me. You loved me in Christ before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, and I have been made alive together with Christ, raised up with Christ. I have direct access to you through your Holy Spirit because of Christ. Christ is in me, and I am in Christ. This is who I am. I want to be this person because this is who I am. This is my identity. This is the vertical view of myself that I want to have. I want to believe your promises. I want to know that you love me personally, and I want to know that your will for me is good. I know your will for me is good. I know you love me with infinite love, and I know your word is true. And your promises are true, and I embrace all the promises of who you are for me in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.